We are talking about the attributes of God, May and June, two months on attributes. Well, Pastor Anthony, what is an attribute of God? You guys ready for the only extended quote of the evening tonight? All right, here we go. This is from Tozer. We're basing it on Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. And he says this, simply put, an attribute is something that answers the question, what is God like? An attribute of God is whatever God has in any way revealed as being true of himself. It is also something we can conceive as being true of him. God being infinite must possess attributes of which we can know nothing. And again, I want to say that's important because God is infinite and we are not. He's eternal and we are not. He's gigantically huge. We, although we may feel differently about ourselves from time to time, are just not that gigantically huge. So we can take to the bank whatever God says he's like. When he says he's loving, we can believe that 100%. When he says he's merciful, we can believe that. But let's just not think we have God all figured out. Just because we can know some things for sure. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So what's the attribute for today? Well, it's a good one. They're all good because God is good. But this one's fun. This is a fun one. God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. All over in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, a lot of these messages come right out of the Old Testament because the Old Testament is full of stories, man. And I like stories, and most people do too. And in the Old Testament, God shows people what he's like in all these wonderful narratives. I love the Old Testament. I love it. So we're going to talk about God's faithfulness. And we are going to pick up right where we left off last week with God's justice in the same story. Who remembers the key story from last week? Anybody? Abraham and Cain. Abraham and, Abraham and Cain? Oh my God. I resign. I resign my post. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus is exactly right. No. Help us, Lord. We're talking about Abraham and Lot. We're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. So, uh, Keith and Grant, why don't you guys come up front and sit down? I've decided I'm going to use you guys as an illustration later. No pressure. I don't mean to call you out in front of all these people, but just I got two special spots right here. Okay. You're also in charge of giving me my water if I need it. Oh. Thank you, son. You're all great. Right. I appreciate that. We're going to read a story, and we're looking for God's faithfulness in the story. You guys ready? Here we go. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. Here we go. Well, let me back up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is picking up where we left off last week with Abraham and Lot. Lot is in Sodom, terrible city. The angels have come to tell Lot, we're going to destroy this wicked city. We're getting you out of here. There's an angry mob of rapists at Lot's door trying to rape these guests that they don't know are angelic visitors. So if that sounds horrifying and terrible, it is. So we're going to pick it up right at that point. Do nothing to these men. This is Lot talking to this mob of would-be rapists. Do nothing to these men, for they've come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow has come to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we'll deal worse with him, worse with you than with them. So they're telling Lot, you're not even from here. You're going to get it worse than them. So Lot is now, his life is in danger, okay? Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down to get to his guests. But the men, the angels that were inside that he's protecting, 
reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Okay, so the angels dealt with the situation by just making them all blind. So now there's this blind, frenzied mob, like, trying to figure out how to get into the house. This is a pretty serious situation. Is this what you want to happen to you after dinner? This seems pretty unusual and pretty horrendous. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in this city? Bring them out of this. Pl- bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So now the angels have just performed a miracle, and they tell Lot, "Okay, I got to disclose our mission here. You see what's going on out there? We've come to take care of this problem once and for all. We've got some orders. We're blotting this place off the face of the earth." So get your family, and let's get out of here. Everybody with me so far? Okay. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord, the Lord, is about to destroy the city. Escape to the hills. Excuse me, I skipped a slide. For the Lord is about to destroy the city. I must have missed a slide. No, that's terrible. Oh my goodness, how am I missing a slide? That's right, I know it. But his sons-in-law said that he seemed like he was joking. He seemed to them to be jesting, is what the Bible says. So they're like, oh, come on, get out of here. God's not going to destroy the city. So Lot goes back. And the angels say, all right, no, really, time is growing short. We're going to destroy this place. Grab your wife, grab your daughters, and let's get out of here. But the Bible says Lot hesitated. Lot hesitated. So the angels grab Lot, grab Lot's wife, grab his daughters, and pull them out of the city. The Bible says, grab them, pull them out, and set them outside. All action words on the part of the angels. And then they say this, Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found great favor in your sight. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. See, he knows they're planning to just drop a bomb on the whole valley, all the cities that are there. And he's like, look, this one is so small. Can you just let it go? So I can make it there? My cardio is not so great. I'm getting older. I can't make it to the mountains. All right? So they say, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth. Zor, by the way, in the Hebrew, in that little footnote, it says, means little. Because it's just a little one, you know. Okay. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zor, and the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt, one of the strangest judgments in the whole Bible. 
All right. Faithfulness. I read that whole story because it is the first time in the Old Testament that the word we're talking about is used. It's the first time that faithfulness is used. And it's in this verse. Behold your servant, this is Lot speaking, has found favor in your sight. Yeah, no kidding, man. How many times did they actually have to pull you in the house and pull you out of the city? Has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. That's not a bad translation of this word, and that's what the ESV and the NIV have. But the NASB translates the same word, you've magnified your loving kindness. Then the New King James Version, you have increased your mercy. The New Living Translation, if you pick up one of the Bibles here, they're NLTs, it says, you've been so gracious to me and saved my life, and you have shown such great kindness. There's like a whole sentence to translate this one word. It's a pretty intense word, okay? You've magnified your kindness and mercy, is what the Amplified says. But this last one, I've never heard of the TLV, the Tree of Life Version. I looked it up. It was translated by the Messianic Jewish Society. So it's no wonder they actually like their translation the best. It says, you have magnified your merciful loyalty. Merciful loyalty. Magnified. You've really shown, you have done yourself. You really showed off. You made me understand how big it is. You magnified it. It's merciful. You've done dragged me out twice. And you're loyal. Wow. Wow. That's faithfulness. According to the Mounts' expository, this, I'm only going to try this once in the Hebrew. Here we go. Chesed or chesed. I can't. You have to, I'm told by a YouTube video you have to spit to get it right. I just can't do it. But, you know, the transliteration will vary. But this word, according to Mounts' expository, is one of the richest and most theologically insightful words of the Old Testament. Unfortunately, it is a real dog to translate. It's tough. So actually, in the Mounts' expository, it's not under faithfulness. You look up faithfulness, and it says, see love. And you look under love, and they have it under love. Why? Eh, because I guess, why not under love? I mean, it's got, it fits so many different concepts. So, but this is a great word. This is my attempt at a definition based on what I learned at seminary, based on the ways it's used in the Bible. Here we go. These are my thoughts. So, not exactly official, but this is going to be our working definition. The faithfulness of God, this Hesed stuff that you have to spit to say, is the tenacious, self-sacrificing, covenant faithfulness of God. Tenacious, self-sacrificing, covenant faithfulness of God. And I want to emphasize tenacious. Doesn't quit. And God abounds in this. I won't pull it up again for the fifth or sixth week in a row, but if you look up the description of God's character by God himself in Exodus 34, he uses this word twice. He's like, I abound in this Hesed thing, and I abound in it for thousands of generations. This is a big deal to God. It's used a whole lot in the Old Testament, like 250 times. It's very telling. It's very serious when this word is used. But when it's used of God, it is this no quit in it, tenacious, loving, all do anything, covenant faithfulness. Like a pit bull on a chew toy. I'm telling you, that's the faithfulness of God. So what comes next is a three-point sermon with two closes. Huh? Huh? Two closes, that makes it unique. See? Now you're anticipating. No. I've got a close for Christians, which you'll all really like. And then I've got a close for people that 
aren't Christians, then maybe they don't even want to be Christians. Maybe they happen to be listening online. They don't even know why they found this. But I've got a close for you two today. I don't want anybody to feel left out. But I'm going to look at this story, and we're going to pull up three points about God's faithfulness that hopefully hit close to home. Okay, you guys ready? Here's point one. Your situation cannot scare off God's faithfulness. Your situation and you yourself, thank you very much, cannot scare off God's faithfulness. What do I mean by that? Is that just something nice to say? No, it's not. Lot was in Sodom. Why was he even there? You skip back from Genesis 19 back to Genesis 13 and we find out Abraham was with his nephew Lot. They're both extremely rich. What were riches back in those days? Livestock. Well, man, they're in the wilderness. There's only so much grass to go around. So you have the herdsmen of Lot, the herdsmen of Abraham, bickering back and forth. We don't know what exactly, but I can imagine. We were at the well first. No, you weren't. We were. That's my sheep. No, it's not. That's Bessie. That's my sheep. Oh, you've never seen this sheep before. We were going to eat this grass this week, and you were going to switch to that plot. Anyway, Abraham tells Lot, look, isn't the whole land before you? You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. Let's be friends. Let's not argue. So Lot looks at the valley, and it says this in Genesis 13, 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zor. So he says, well, that place is really nice. That place where Sodom and Gomorrah and all these evil cities are. We find out only a few verses later, now Sodom was, the men of Sodom were very wicked and great sinners against the Lord. Sodom's reputation preceded it. Lot said, that looks like the best place in the world. That looks like the very garden of God. Man. And this looks like Egypt. That actually, I feel like that proves to me that Moses actually did write the first five books of the Bible because he got really sick of the people he was leading saying they wanted to go back to Egypt. So I think he's like, maybe they don't know what the Garden of God looks like, but they seem like Egypt a lot. Let's put that in there too. So just to decide. So Lot thinks he's going to the best place in the world. Where does he actually go? The worst place in the world. The worst place in the world. Lot goes to the city with a reputation so bad, God himself has to show up to destroy it. Can you imagine calling on a carpet? Like, what were you thinking? What would he say? Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I bet it did. It was green, like the garden of God. Okay, true enough. Did you know it was wicked? Well, yeah, but, I mean, I was just trying to feed my sheep, man. He goes to a city that fails to protect him. Oh, that happens shortly after he moves there. You have four kings, they come and attack Sodom and Sodom and Sodom's four other allies. The Bible goes out of the way to say it's four kings attacking five. And the five kings apparently stink at fighting so bad, they lose. <laughs> and Lot and all of his possessions are taken captive. Guess who has to save his rear end? Abraham. Abraham shows up with 318 guys, whoops up on the other four armies, and takes everybody back. Lot knows that Sodom stinks. Lot, Sodom can't even protect Lot. And he goes back to Sodom. Settles back in the city. Man, good grief, man. Lot only avoids being gang-raped, possibly to death, by a miracle. In Sodom. The worst place in the world. So here's my question. 
We're talking about God's faithfulness, okay? God showed great faithfulness to Lot, didn't he? Lot himself said so. We know it's important. This is the first time this key word is used. But whose fault is this mess? Lot's. Lot's fault. Lot is not a victim. He went there by inches, but he went there intentionally. Does this sound familiar? So God's faithfulness is not scared off by your situation, even though it's your fault, even though you did it, even though when you look back on how you got there, you see that it was you taking the steps all along the way. I tell you what, I've had this happen to me. I'm not going to go deep into my testimony, but it is amazing that when you think you are in the worst place in the world, you turn around and Jesus is on your couch saying, wow, it stinks here, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I didn't, even think, I didn't even think you'd come to a place like my life. He's like, no, yeah, that's what I do. God's faithfulness is tenacious. He's not scared off by you or where you are. And if you think he is, that's, guys, that's a pride problem. He went to Sodom in person. He's going to show up in your life because he's faithful. Point two. You can't offend it and make it leave. Good luck trying to offend God's faithfulness so that God will somehow rescind it. I, you're not going to succeed, like, ever. This is going to be a failing endeavor. Let's check this out. So, after all the stuff I just said about all the crap Lot did, he's, I mean, rapists were trying to beat his door down to get saved by these angels. These angels say, let's get you out of here. We're saving you miraculously. And the Bible says, Genesis 19:16. but he lingered. Look at what this word means. To question. To question. What is he questioning? Like he, he hears them at the door, like trying to get in. He's like, well, maybe things aren't so bad. Come on, dude. To hesitate. To be reluctant. Reluctant. Oh my goodness. To dally. To linger. To, te- to tarry. <laughs> So we have to get this straight, okay? Here's the scene. We're in Sodom. They're at the door. They're trying to beat it down. His life is on the line. He's just seen a miracle. He knows he's dealing with angels. He knows the city is going to be destroyed. But, you know, he's just not sure. He knows how wicked Sodom is firsthand. Why knows Sodom can't protect him. They're kind of wimps. They got beat up. They had five kings against four. They still lost. He knows Abraham's pretty tough, but Sodom not so much. And Lot knows that Sodom would rape him and kill him if they could. And when the angels try to rescue him, he doesn't want to leave? Come on. But here's the question. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Christians in the room, don't raise your hands. If you're a Christian in the room and you're over 25, let's say, how many times did God try to get you out of the worst place in the world before you actually went? How many times did he try You know, I can speak from my own life. There were plenty of moments where I knew God was speaking right to me. And I knew that where I was going, I was going deliberately. Why are you moving in with that guy from work that, like, spends all his money on marijuana and cocaine and prescription medication? Well, I can't pay for it by myself. Seems like a good idea to me. (laughs) Why are you letting his buddy sleep on the couch? Because we can't pay rent. Because he got an underage DUI. Seems like a good idea. Yeah, but... He's the mule. He's the drug runner. Why are you letting him in the house? Well, I mean, he's available. Seems like a good idea. 
come on. Anthony, so many times, God was like, this is the worst place in the world. Get out of there. God is faithful. You know, sometimes his faithfulness is irritating. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for being irritatingly faithful. I should have put that in the definition. But good news, I couldn't offend it enough to make it quit. It is tenacious, and it's self-sacrificing. When Jesus said, come to me because I'm lowly and humble in heart, this is the kind of crap he meant. I've been taking it on the chin from ungrateful people, and I'm just trying to help for a couple thousand years now. I'm pretty good at it. You're going to do all right, too, so just come on. You can't offend my faithfulness so much that it's just going to quit. Amen. Can we amen now? Thank you very much. Here's some other points. Just to make run this home. I don't need to, but I'm going to. Look up these times that God would have left it all alone if he wasn't so faithful. Think about Adam and Eve. Why did he even keep going? Moses. At one point, Moses said, just kill me. I'm done. Forget all these miracles. Forget saving me from Egypt. Well, I got another idea. Take my life. Thanks, Mr. Faithful. Peter. Mr. I'll die for you. I'll never leave you or deny you. Denies him three times in the same night, in the same chapter. How about the whole nation of Israel for literally the whole Bible? Okay? And how about us? Read Romans 5 to get an honest appraisal of where we were at before Jesus. Can we offend God's faithfulness so much that he quits on us? No. Can we? No. Okay, good. We got that. Hammered home. Point three. Remember, two closes today. That's special. We're getting that. <laughs> Point three. God's faithfulness insists on leading you to safety. There's one way that God's faithfulness is working for Lot. And that's to get Lot out of Sodom. Check this out. But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out, and they set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, okay, as they brought him out, this means you don't want to get out from that chair. You're going to sit in this chair, okay? But you, I'm telling you, God's wrath is going to fall on this chair. This is the worst chair in the world. And the wrath is going to fall, and you're going to be destroyed, all right? So you need to grab Grant, because that chair's in danger too, and we need to get out of here. Come on, man. Come on. Seriously. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Is this irritating? If Keith doesn't want to leave the chair? Is God's faithfulness for the irritating? Are we glad that it's irritating? So the Bible says that as he's brought out, so he's made him get up. And he's like, now I want you to run real fast. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. So as they are physically dragging the reluctant lot and his wife and kids out of the city, they're giving instructions. Like, for real, okay? You need to run away. Don't look back. And don't stop anywhere in the, in the valley. God's faithfulness has one agenda, to make you safe. When you're a Christian, and you're already in a relationship, Grant, your turn, buddy. Yep. Up in Ziyad. Oh, come on, you're so embarrassed. Okay, Grant, this is the wrong way to go. So face that, people. This is the wrong way, but you really want to go this way. Okay? Now go ahead and try. So Grant wants to go the wrong way. So now, faithful. I'm actually pushing it. I'm just, um, Grant's bigger than stuff there. We want to go the other way. The other way. Okay, that way. Good. Sit down again. Okay. So, if you live your life,
is running into God's faithfulness and it is trying to push you in the right direction, you know, you are a good sport. I appreciate that. And you are dead set and going in the wrong direction, there's going to be emotional friction. Ah, there's going to be real irritation. You are going to become frustrated with God because he's trying to drag you out of the worst place in the world. Lucky for you, God is not offended enough to withdraw his faithfulness, but that means he's going to keep pushing you and he's going to keep dragging you. Are we grateful for that? Yes. Amen, we should be. You know, when he finally got crazy Lot out of the city, Lot's reaction was like, wow, now that I'm out of the city, I see things clearly. Hey, I really appreciate it, guys. You've shown me great faithfulness. Was there an angelic eye roll? <laughs> Do you think they were tempted? I, I think I would have been tempted. I think the Lord would have looked the other way. <laughs> They'd been like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, I bet you're grateful. Thanks a lot. Just run away. Get away from us, for real. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, the Lord being merciful to him. He's merciful. He doesn't quit. He's tenacious. He's self-sacrificing. He's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of your situation. That faithfulness will go there. You can't offend it and make it leave. And it has one objective, and that is to see you safe. God's faithfulness compels him to do that. It's what's in his character that makes him push and nag and convict and highlight and polish and buff you. And we should be grateful. This is what the Bible says about God's character. And think about these verses in the, in the context of faithfulness. 2 Peter 3.9. Peter's talking about judgment. He's talking about bringing the end of the world. He's talking about ultimate judgment on the earth. And Peter says this. Now the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. For no one is exempt from this. Okay? Let's look at John 12, 32. Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, that means when I'm crucified, I will draw all people to myself. He wants you to be repentant. He wants you to come to him. And finally, Ezekiel 18, 23. Good old Old Testament verse that shows that big, mean character, the big, mean Old Testament God. Man, that we've all heard is just waiting to roast people with fire and brimstone. Man, what a meanie. Not true. Ezekiel 18, 23. God says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. The faithfulness of God wants life, repentance, and relationship for all humanity. You can't make it leave. Your situation can't be scary enough. You can't be bad enough. And you can't offend it so much that it's going to quit trying to get you safe. It's relentless. It's tenacious. It doesn't quit. It's self-sacrificing. Amen. That would be, amen would be appropriate right there. That's a good spot. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now my first close. If you're a Christian and you're here today, uh, you know, when I had the worst time in my life, <laughs> I was a Christian. Shock. Couldn't believe it. You know? And when I gave my life back to the Lord, I don't know better terminology than that. So if you want to argue with me about terminology, please don't. Hear my heart. I don't know better, a better phrase for it than that. I say I gave my life back to the Lord when I was about 22. 
because I just don't know a better phrase. But God showed up in the midst of the worst day and the worst situation that I've ever had, and there he was. And man, there was a lesson there that I want to pass on to all you Christians, no matter what. If you're in the midst of total backsliding, okay? I mean, forget going back to old habits. You're busy inventing and trying new ones. Like, wherever you're at, if that's where you are, but you've walked with the Lord, and you feel that pull, you need to respond today. Because you need to, well, let me say, it's not just those people. It's also those of us who are doing real good. Because you'll probably have a bad day or two. Okay? So let's all get this. I don't want to leave any Christian out. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, relax. Relax. It's not about you. Well, Anthony, don't I have to actually do something? Yes, but I get to talk about God's holiness in two weeks. So I'll cover all that then. But for tonight, just relax. <laughs> Guys, it's kind of about you, but it's not about you. Ultimately, just relax. I had a crazy professor one time say that God, Jesus didn't die for you because he loved you. He just died out of obedience. And I was like, that's trash. Don't ever say that again. Jesus died for you because he loves you. Okay? That's true. But you need to understand something about God's faithfulness. Is that you and I, we will never really deserve a tenacious, self-sacrificing faithfulness like God shows us. You can't get good enough to deserve that. It's impossible. And here's the good news. You don't really have to. Just like Lot didn't have to. Lot was right. God showed great faithfulness to him. But do you know why? It says it a few verses later in Genesis 19, 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew, overthrew the cities which Lot lived. God showed faithfulness to Lot because he had this covenant relationship with Abraham who loved Lot. Parents with backslidden children, are you listening? God showed faithfulness to Lot because he was in an intimate covenant relationship with someone else. On Abraham's behalf, he showed faithfulness to Lot. Now that doesn't mean he didn't care about Lot. That doesn't mean that the faithfulness to Lot wasn't real. But it means that there's other motivating factors. You know what? When you're at your worst, the Bible says that when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Christians, relax about our ultimate destiny. Just keep going, okay? Even when you get muddy, even when it's rough, just keep going. Because you know what? The Bible says that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And when God is faithful to himself, you're caught up in that too. God is faithful to himself for you. God is faithful to himself and you get in on that. So can we all just take a deep breath? Every Christian here is, God is faithful. He's tenacious. He's self-sacrificing. He's loving. Close to. Not so much fun. But also very important. It's for non-Christians. Let me ask you a question. Why did Lot's wife get judged and die? Why did she get judged and die? My mom's right. She disobeyed. But hold on. I thought God was faithful. I thought they were safe. They were outside the city. You know? Don't hang on to that. I just have to answer that. That was kind of rhetorical. Let's read the account. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape your life, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Sounds like a warning to me. Sounds like they knew exactly what to do. Sounds like they were given direction. 
But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. This phrase, looked back, I read a commentator that said it's not just like glance, like she happened to see the judgment. This is a heart motivation. She looked intently. Some people think it might actually be really mean, looked back as if returned. The Bible said she was lagging behind. Her heart was not really in running away anyway. I think she actually was like, no, I just, I don't believe it. I can't leave. I'm going back. Wow. That's pretty intense. Why did Lot's wife get judged and die? Well, not because God was unfaithful. Look at all the faithfulness God had already shown to that whole family. Not because she wasn't warned. She knew exactly what to do, what not to do, and where to go. Heck, they just cut a deal. The angels said, go to the hills, and they were like, eh, how about that little town? And the angels were like, oh, okay. They knew exactly what to do and exactly where to go. She wasn't judged because she lacked direction. She wasn't judged because God wasn't good. Does anyone here seriously can argue that? After all this, that God wasn't good to them? God was good. And it wasn't because of anything that God did or didn't do. See, I feel like sometimes you want to say, God, if you were really faithful, you would just tie me up and drag me all the way to heaven. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. The fact of the matter is, Lot's wife got judged and died because she chose to reject the faithfulness of God. Oh, that's right. God's faithfulness does not mean universalism. God's faithfulness does not mean judgment doesn't exist. It doesn't mean there are no standards. It doesn't mean you do nothing. God's faithfulness is tenacious. That's true. Self-sacrificing, true, loving, yes, gracious, and inexhaustible. That's why we can relax when we're in a relationship. We're never going to get to the end of it. His faithfulness is inexhaustible, but it is not inescapable. It's not forced on you. Last book of the Bible, Revelation. John is taken up into heaven in the spirit, and Jesus says, write this down, and starts totally dressing down the church in Laodicea, talking about how they're half-hearted. You know, you guys think you're doing fine, but you're not doing fine. My judgment is sure. You make me want to puke. I mean, it's some of the, I would not want to be in that church. But then God says this, this to that church. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's like, everything I just said is true about you guys, but literally I'm right here. My faithfulness compels me. I'm still right there. And he goes on to say, just open the door and I'll come in and we'll have dinner. That's God's heart. But that can be rejected. That door can never be opened. We can give God the thanks but no thanks. That's a choice you have to make. And I think, I know a choice I make because it was the choice I made. God is faithful. He does not scare you or your situation. You can't offend him, make it go away. And he's going to try to lead you to safety. Christians, if you're in that, relax. Just keep going. He's going to be faithful to himself. Seriously, this should be the biggest deep breath you've had all week. But if you haven't chosen to access that faithfulness yet, if God is still knocking at your door, you need to open it. Because it is inexhaustible, but not inescapable. Amen? Let's pray.